Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Podscribers. With me this week is Michael Garfield. He is the host of the Complexity Podcast from the Santa Fe Institute, as well as the host of Future Fossils. The thing about this episode is that it ran a bit longer than we were both expecting, so if you would like to skip to a certain part about it, please check out the show notes for this episode. I have made a table of contents there. And if you would like to read the transcript as well, those are always available on our website, a link to which is in the show notes or description below as well. Hope you enjoy. Michael, welcome to Podscribers. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Eugene. First, could you tell us a bit about yourself and how you came to host both the Complexity podcast and the Future Fossils podcast? Sure, yeah. So around 2007, I realized that I was not going back to grad school for evolutionary biology because my questions had gotten too interdisciplinary and I was being warned with like neon red flags by all of my academic advisors that I was consigning myself to a life of suffering if I tried to study these questions in the academy. So I just took off, really. Uh, I moved from Lawrence, Kansas, where I was attending the University of Kansas to Boulder, Colorado, where I started working as a sound man and writing for, <clears throat> pardon me, writing for a music blog about the future of music technology and playing shows. I started doing um, these like uh, increasingly intricate guitar looping performances. And so I, I you know, I started going out to festivals and, and performing music and, and painting at these festivals. And it wasn't long before I realized that the thing that set me apart from other artists in this awesome but very crowded scene was my ability to get up on stage and talk. And so I started giving talks at festivals uh, in 2009, you know, somewhere in the middle of art, creativity, evolutionary science, you know, philosophy. And then people started asking me to do a show after a few years of that. You know, podcasts weren't still a huge thing, but I was deeply inspired by shows like Eric Davis's Expanding Mind, which uh, he was doing on the Progressive Radio Network uh, weekly and just completely blew my world open with all of the interesting guests that he had on that show. And so I I, you know, I was also binging uh, the, the Lindisfarne tapes, the E.F. Schumacher Center for New Economics uh, recorded all of their... Uh, conferences by the Lindisfarne Association, which was this this who's who of unsung 20th century geniuses that got together in a think tank and recorded all of their their stuff. So at any rate, I was I was living in the world of podcasts. Oh, and Integral Naked by the Integral Institute, which I had started listening to in 2005, uh, wasn't even called a podcast at the time. So this is, you know, I was steeping in this world of, of audio because I was driving these epic runs across the country to get from festival to festival. And so when people started asking me to interview guests, uh, I, I was like, yeah, let's do it. And in 2016, my friend Evan Snyder, who 
was and still is a tremendous electronic musician and a robotics engineer working on the robots in Amazon warehouses. Uh, he and I started the show Future Fossils, which was intended as an exploration of time. So we launched Future Fossils at Moogfest in 2016. Moogfest being the the uh, festival in North Carolina held by Moog synthesizers. So this is like a music and technology festival, and it seemed like just the right place to debut a show about weird philosophy and and science fictional ideas. And uh, I, the first you know that was the first summer that I really took it around I, I took it out to boom festival in Portugal and recorded a lot of on-site interviews out there and then to rainbow serpent and earth frequency festivals in Australia the next year and recorded a bunch of on-site interviews there and at the time things were still sort of wild enough that it didn't matter that I was just taking a zoom h2 out to these noisy environments and kind of capturing, you know, site-specific oral history kind of recordings, you know, uh, the standards for audio quality were not as intense as they are now. Hold on. So you were, you were doing the Future Fossils podcast and you were focusing on time and these conversations that you were having at music festivals. What was the subject matter of the podcast? Well, I mean, it has a lot to do with where we are in what we think of as time you know it's it's an interrogation kind of of the conceits of the modern world that i'm over here and you're over there which is challenged every day by electronic media the uh you know the the discoveries of ecology and the the sort of networked and relational identity of individuals you know the sort of mainlining and mainstreaming these ideas out of the complex system sciences, but also out of Eastern, like non-dual philosophy, that the self is a, a concept, an idea, a pattern, an apparition that is uh, a, a, an autonomic pattern of habit, like your heartbeat, that uh, is not something that you're doing. And that this is becoming increasingly obvious and in a way kind of a necessary uh, uh, shift in our framing of the world as we become more and more deeply embedded in these uh, lightning fast communication technologies that link our minds together on a planet scale. So, yeah. So what's what's a, a takeaway that you think most people would find in your podcast after listening to your podcast that's that's practical or that could blow up in their minds well i think that the main thing that i've been trying to do all these years is help people stay epistemologically flexible uh rather you know to to understand that our stories about the world are stories to help people learn to think a little bit more clearly about how those stories come to pass or how they come to be and then also how they come to pass the way that our stories also create the world that we live in in um a way that i you know my friends uh introduced me to this term hyperstition which is like a story that becomes fact after being repeated enough like a 
like an incantation. And it's, you know, it's a hugely practical insight, I think, to realize just how much of the world is constructed in this way. Uh, that, you know, so much of what we take for granted as bedrock reality are stories that we have repeated until they have become true. And, you know, that this is everywhere from the, the absolutely mundane decision of collective social standards, like we all drive on one side of the street, to uh, extremely ontologically weird phenomena, like uh, the, the UFO phenomenon, which, you know, may be in some way that's very difficult to explain within a modern material scientific paradigm, a collective hallucination uh, that is manifesting in physical ways. So, you know, this is, this is the wilderness of philosophy that we're coming back into, uh, because of the way that networked knowledge and information technologies have brought, have surfaced all of these different ways of knowing from human history and from around the world and remixed them into this one, you know, uh, global commons. And, you know, what comes out of that over the next 50 to 100 years is unclear. And how we navigate the transition between a world of, you know, clear, binary, dualistic categories into this, you know, f very fuzzy, weird, uh, mysterious open space in which the agencies that we held exclusive to human beings for 300 years or more uh, have spilled out of the human and into the world around us. You know, one of the things that Eric Davis uh, talked a lot about on Expanding Mind was the resurgence of animism in high technology environments. This notion that, you know, as our devices get smarter, that the way of navigating the Internet of Things uh, looks more and more like uh, kind of like a shamanism. You know, you're, you're navigating these, these worlds that are responsive and intelligent and uh, re reacting to you in, in smart ways. But they're alien intelligences. You know, they, we can't know a world of human-computer coevolution in the way that we knew a world in, in which the, you know, most of our interactions were with other humans. Uh, you know, it looks a lot more like there's a symmetry, basically. The, the, I guess the takeaway of the show is that there are important symmetries between the pre-modern world and the, and the post-modern world. And that in a lot of ways, the 21st century looks more like a, you know, the, maybe the 12th century than it does like this 19th century, you know? Uh, so anyway, that's, that's future fossils. We have to move on to other questions, but super briefly, how did you uh, start the Complexity podcast or how did you get involved with the Santa Fe Institute? Yeah, that's a much quicker story, really. Um, okay. I, I was talking to my friend Violet Luxton, who uh, lives out in uh, Southern California, and she recommended that I investigate and try to interview Jeffrey West, who's a, a, a an SFI physicist who applied the biophysical scaling laws that he had derived from from the scaling laws in physics basically like how the properties of an object changes as it grows and it you know its relationship to you know things like gravity and friction 
And uh, he found that by applying those things to the living world, that you're able to identify constraints on the evolutionary process and on the development of organisms. And you're able to find uniquely uh, compelling um, universals, such as the fact that all mammals are basically scaled versions of each other. So an elephant and a mouse have the same number of heartbeats. They just have very different lengths of you know, they have very different volumes and therefore, you know, very different lifespans. And so the elephant's heart is beating much more slowly and it's, it can't jump uh, because it's, you know, it's too big, but you know, it's, they, they both have like a billion heartbeats. Gotcha. And so do we. Um, and so, you know, very interesting guy. Uh, so I, I emailed the woman who is now my boss at SFI, uh, Jenna Marshall, the manager of communications, and said, I'd love to interview him. And she said, he just got off a book tour about this stuff. He doesn't want to talk about it anymore. But we'd love for you to interview our president, David Krakauer, whom I discovered was the one of the people whose research actually knocked me out of the academy. You know, 13 years prior, I had been reading this guy's work uh, on the evolution of language. And that's when I started getting this this interdisciplinary itch that confused me so deeply that I couldn't proceed uh, into into grad school. And I interviewed David and it was a blast. And they were holding a festival that summer, inter interplanetary festival, which was uh, very strange because it was a scientific institution hosting this festival rather than a bunch of party kids, uh, but a wonderful event. And I got to perform music and um, and, and take notes up on a video wall for their, their panel discussions and had such a great time that I applied for the first available position at the Santa Fe Institute, which was for uh, social media, which is a nightmare gig. Uh, working in social media, I'm sure any social media professional will tell you is just absolutely horrible, but I get to do it in the coolest place, which is this thriving hotbed of intellectual activity, which is exactly the kind of place that I had been looking for when I was in my 20s and had had uh, no way of accessing or entering at that time. And so uh, the first thing I suggested to them on the day I started the job was this place should have a podcast. And they said, well, the board of trustees has been asking for this. But, you know, working in an organization, it's like everything has a layer of of bureaucracy. And it, it took a year to get the podcast off the ground. But now that we have... Uh, it's my favorite part of the job and it's just an absolute treat to uh, take the basic idea of future fossils into a much more uh, rigorous space and you know mostly interviewing scientists instead of philosophers and artists and filmmakers and musicians uh, and so you get you know I, I get to hone myself uh, and, you know, it's important that I stay much, much sharper <laughs> on complexity. And so that's bled back into Future Fossils also. I think Future Fossils has grown and evolved a lot through its its uh, collision with, you know, an elite in academic institution. And it's the Complexity Podcast, which is bigger? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't have any promotional budget for either show, but the social media assets of the Santa Fe Institute that I've, I've helped cultivate are definitely uh, much more uh, 
help in promoting a podcast than my own. So how do you promote the podcast and new episodes when they come out? You just post them on social media and what else do you do? That's it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't have, I mean, I guess there were a couple of ads taken out in Nautilus magazine by the Santa Fe Institute. Um, because they have a they have a press partnership with the magazine, and so we got some really beautiful full page ads last year uh, in in that mag. But yeah, for the most part, it's it's just social media and word of mouth, and I don't uh, I don't spend any money on ads. Okay, that's good to hear. You also are one of Podscribe's oldest clients. Um, how did we first connect and what got you to get transcripts? Pete cold called us. Um, so yeah, we got an email from him and I was just immediately like, yes, I would, I, I, I have a long history of alpha testing cool stuff and, or beta testing it. I, I was a glass explorer and, uh, you know, got to, got to play, shows all over the place with my buddies AI music visualizing software and I was just like you know I love guinea pigging stuff and and Pete is such a warm and uh friendly guy and I I was just immediately like yeah we absolutely should be transcribing this show because ultimately it would be nice to you know I I was thinking about this from the start uh and it's cool to see him pushing this as as a a, fe a main feature a main perk of this this software is the idea of compiling these you know the best conversations from the show into a book but then also at sfi there are a lot of people working in the computational humanities uh which is you know applying digital tools to the analysis of cultural corpa corpora uh you know, like studying, uh, like Simon Dedeo, one of our external professors studies the French revolutionary papers, you know, with text modeling, uh, or the early publications of the Royal Society. Uh, and, you know, by applying these statistical techniques to these enormous historical data sets, you're able to find patterns in history that weren't apparent by just reading them, like, historians are used to doing and i thought my god like we should be doing this with our own content you know like we should be we should be looking for patterns we should be creating network diagrams like i want to i've been i've been talking for since the podcast started about making a poster of all of the conversations and how they relate to each other which is something that you you just can't do unless you transcribe the show you know right. and so you know i look at it and you know future fossils before complexity has always, always explicitly been framed in terms of our greatest audience is unborn. And one day scientists are going to be studying these conversations because, you know, we, you know, this is in the trash heap as far as modern pop culture is concerned, but the trash heap is what's interesting to archeologists. And so like, let's leave a beautiful corpse, basically, you know, let's, let's leave them something that is useful for their analysis of an era of history that is so impoverished in its data records compared to whatever they've got going on in another hundred years. You know, like this will seem like a dark age. So 
let's give them something that they can, you know, some scraps to, to feed on. And, you know, the more I, you know, in the five years since like coming up with that, that premise, uh, I've just been watching, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen some of these, these, uh, machine learning experiments where people are, are up, uh, up sampling historical footage you know, from like old grainy, like turn of the century stuff to stuff that it looks like it was taken yesterday. Yeah. And so it's like the, the thought of, you know, I, I am deeply critical of transhumanism generally, but it seems like one of the, the inevitable trajectories here is something to the tune of digital resurrection. And so the idea of uh, basically pre-digesting our records for machine intelligences so that they have an easier time of restoring a conversation like this one in some, you know, in some kind of uh, virtual environment so that people can go back and kind of like live this conversation vicariously, you know, is, is really interesting to me. And, you know, tech tools like Podscribe are great for this. Did you ever end up making a mental map out of all of your, not mental map, a map with all of the patterns that it, that start to appear in your transcripts? <laughs> not yet. I've been too busy. But that's a project that uh, there's uh, foundations in uh, uh, the an analytics uh, of humanities. There's, it's, it's, what is it? Hold on just a second. It's, um, faha. ah, yes, yeah, sorry. Foundations and Applications of Humanities Analytics is the, the digital humanities program that SFI is launching this summer. And so, you know, this is something that I, I intend to, to take some time to do, uh, is to sign up for their program and learn the computational tools required in order to do this so that I'm not leaning on someone else to do the work. Um, and then that, you know, that's going to be uh, a really fun longitudinal project that will help me kind of lift my head out of the the hamster wheel of social media a little bit. Give me some breathing room, you know. Did you have you used the transcripts for anything else? You mentioned writing a book, or have you used our all search widget at all? I haven't yet, uh, because you know, right now it's just I'm in accumulation mode. Um, you know, I I have, however, for future fossils been talking with and recommended you know a lot of my listeners uh in the future fossils discord server who are also running podcasts to podscribe and you know the 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 sort of planning discussion has been about how do we link in a podcast network with some of these other shows and how do we uh, start creating not just an index within one show, but across shows so that uh, we have like a recommendation type thing. And, and I, you know, we've been seeing, you know, Podscribe does that, uh, you know, where you can, you said, oh, you know, the content of this one program, uh, you know, you might want to listen to this other thing. And that's so much more uh, interesting and uh, appealing than a program that's just based on like uh, f like uh, f like lookalike follower counts, in in a sense, you know, like that you're actually digging into the like the content of a book 
in order to recommend a related book, uh, you know, rather than just like, oh, people also bought this. So, you know, the, the, the prospect of being able to sort of skip, not just, not just uh, into one person's body of work, but across several people's work, you know, and, and do the sort of Wikipedia lateral search is really exciting to me. Okay. Well, I will let Pete know that that might be something he wants to look into for future development, um, connecting different podcasts under a network to see if there are commonalities that arise between them uh, and patterns. Uh, but I also wanted to ask you as well about editing. You definitely stand out among our clients for the way that you have crowdsourced your editing. Uh, what you do is you, on your website, on the simple cast website for the complexity podcast there's a little tab that you click if you open the tab the transcript will pop up you don't use our embeddable player but you do just have a copy paste of it and at the top of many of these pages when the transcript has not edited has not been edited yet it says the transcript has been machine generated by podscribe.ai if you would like to volunteer to help edit the transcript email michael Garfield at santafe.com, something like that. And yeah, santafe.edu. Yeah. Santafe.edu. And then for other ones, after someone has volunteered to edit the transcript, you say thank you to Julia so-and-so for volunteering to edit this this transcript, which I think is really impressive because it's very it, I, I think many of our clients find it difficult to trans to to crowdsource their editing. So how did you manage to get that done? Well, I love my volunteers, but it's, you know, it's tricky. Like you can't count on volunteers to, to turn something around in a given time. Like it's just inappropriate to assume that that's possible. So it really was just, I was editing every single transcript back when the, sh the show was weekly for the first year. And then I just had to, uh, you know, ramp it down to biweekly because of competing responsibilities. And then I had to out start thinking about outsourcing transcript editing uh, again, just because COVID basically made us so busy as a scientific institution that uh, it was no longer really viable. You know, you're in constant crisis mode for a year. And so it was like, you know, for the love of God, would someone please help? And I was, you know, I got the the approval to start sourcing volunteers. And so we, you know, we put a call out on social media and, you know, really, I think we should be mentioning it in the actual intros to the show. Um, it's, you know, we have probably seven people that have stepped forward, but everyone else is as busy as possible, you know? So it's, 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 it's a game of roulette. Um, you know, you really just it's not something I would recommend to people who uh, don't have, it's a numbers game, right? So it's like, if you don't have a lot of people to ask, <laughs> you know, in a way, I think it really ought to be uh, broken up like a mechanical Turk type situation. And instead of having one person edit the show, you find five and you have them each edit 10 minutes. I think that, you know, that that's a much more sort of realistic, plausible, expectation to place on a, on volunteers and when like let's say i wanted to edit your latest episode i email you saying hey i'd like to volunteer what 
then do you respond with? What do you reply with? Well, I mean, you know, you can edit the transcripts at Podscribe. You can just right. give them the link. Uh, but that feels like an exploit, <laughs> like a vulnerability, letting folks mess with the source code uh, in that way. So I just download a transcript and send it to them in a text file and or, you know, copy paste. Uh, you know, I, I go in and I use the speaker assignment tool to make sure that the speakers are all assigned properly. And then I hand them the the raw text after that to play with. And, and at, you know, we copy the the machine version, like you said, into the the transcript section and then just wait. And then eventually the edit comes in and, you know, by then it's like... How long does it usually take? It used to be fast, but I think people are getting burned out. You know, I think I, I really do. I think that I, this is, you know, contributing to my thinking on on uh, splitting up the responsibility between more people. Yeah. OK. And uh, it didn't sound like so you tell people about them. You tell people about your podcast on social media. You ask for uh, transcription volunteers on social media. And you're thinking of putting a little note about that in the intro or outro of your podcast. Have you been using your transcripts for anything else so far? So far, no. But you know, I do. I, I do want to self-publish a volume with Future Fossils. Uh, that one has a smaller base of editors, just because that's a smaller show. And so these are these are long-term projects. You know, I've got a toddler, as you know, and so it's just these are things I'm chipping away at in in my free time. Um, you know, like a like a hidden statue that I'm just like, yeah. one day I will reveal this. But, you know, I do think that there are other interesting applications for this kind of thing. Um, you know, I think that I would, again, like I, you know, I, I think a lot about the future of books and, you know, more interesting to me than just releasing these materials as a book or like, like I said, like a, like a poster uh, is to take the internal relationships that a you know machine learning algorithm could discover within a, a a corpus of transcriptions and then actually use it to uh, create the internal hyperlink architecture for an ebook so that you can basically choose your own adventure and that you can walk through a an archive of podcasts diagonally in this way, you know, like, like I was saying about, you know, podcast recommendation, uh, across shows, but like more like you enter the, the search term, uh, evolutionary biology. And then suddenly it's like plop and it takes you out and you can see, uh, all of the opportunities for you to dive into, another episode in the middle of it and just, you know, I don't know. There's just, we're like thinking about it in terms of, uh, you know, a, a virtual reality interface for that kind of a thing, you know, where you're like inside this, uh, you know, cockpit of swirling documents, you know, where like everything, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're exploring a, a, a three-dimensional space 
like this, I think would be really interesting. I don't know. I mean, these are all just like speculative projects, but these are exactly the kind of projects I expect people to, to build, to develop for this kind of thing in the next few years. You know, I think that the, the future of librarian technology uh, in this regard is really interesting. And, and, you know, rather than just digging into the stacks, like, you know, digging into the hyperspace stacks, uh, I think is we're, we're starting to develop exactly the kind of tools that I can imagine the digital archaeologists I've been hypothesizing uh, are going to be using in a much, much sooner time frame than I, than I historically have indulged. I have two questions left. Uh, one, the second last one is, do you have any, you've, you've studied complexity, you've studied paleoarchaeology, if I'm correct, and evolutionary biology. Yeah. Um, do you have any insights into the pandemic for mere mortals like me uh, <laughs> with, with your understanding of complexity so far about perhaps when you think this will end? I'm a mere mortal. I, uh, I have no PhD and I am staff at this institute, you know, so it's uh, just to be clear, um, I am I am a weirdo among weirdos. But uh, that said, you know, getting to listen to and talk to all of these these people who are doing the work in in fighting COVID, you know, modeling it and so on. Yeah, I mean, certainly there are we did a a 10 episode series on COVID last spring for Complexity Podcast uh, seven where we were discussing uh, I was discussing key papers and, and articles with the president. And then actually maybe even more episodes than that, where I was talking one-on-one -on -one with, with our, you know, key epidemiologists. And so, you know, that spun off and I'll send you links. Uh, you can add to the show notes for other conversations that I had with other podcaster friends, uh, Shane Moss and Chris Kutarna, uh, where we were talking about the stuff and an episode I did on, on future fossils, a solo episode I did exploring the stuff. Um, I think, you know, key, key insights surrounding COVID uh, involve understanding, I think this fast-tracked our, our, our awakening to the realities of being networked individuals. You know, that the fact that we are, like the, the fact that COVID makes your personal well-being, your personal health, a public health concern you know, so that we have to start thinking about healthcare in a different way, that it's not just about, I'm over here paying for my health, because the reality is, if you get sick, it affects the economy, you know, and so they're, they're like these, these underground connections between these things that we've previously thought of in separate buckets uh, are starting to become much more obvious. And another way that that is really relevant is in the overlay of biological contagions and uh, ideological or mimetic contagions. So, you know, behavior is something that you catch from other people. And so when behavior helps determine whether or not you catch a physical disease, then there's a relationship between conspiracy theories and epidemics. And so you get, you know, these, th there's this, that layer of it, uh, which is that, you know, how, what you believe affects how you act again, you know, back to this sort of the hyperstition piece, right? That, that, uh, 
you know repeating something over and over again makes it true yeah that that we get these these situations there's a complex interplays between belief and behavior and and uh biology and so you know that's just one instance of where this matters and then the third thing that i would i would add is that the pandemic by scaring us all into quarantine has uh it has broken social networks in physical space and has accentuated or or doubled down on the social networks that we have in in digital space and so you know we have lost vital infrastructure uh you know the the what they call the mesoscale or mesoscopic human relationships church clubs uh guilds sporting events pubs uh you know families neighbors you know we've we this stuff was already being all of those were being corroded uh and you know the 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 responsibilities of that human scale social network uh organization we're we're already under assault from both the state and the market you know we've we've outsourced nearly all of what it means to be a human in community to corporations and governments already but you know this was like the last straw where it it you know so many people have been rallying against these closures because they've realized the importance of this thing that you know it's like you don't you don't really know what you've got until it's gone and what happens when when you move into the uh purely digital space with all of our relationships is that people the the polarization gets a thousand times worse uh that's not a an actual number but uh, <laughs> it gets so much worse because people are stuck in their filter bubbles you know they're separated from each other by algorithm uh, algorithmic sorting um and by the sorting of our own self soothing kind of confirmation bias like you know like prefers like kind of internal social algorithms where it's it's easier to communicate with people that you don't have to explain yourself to and so we segregate naturally into relationships with people like ourselves unless we actively seek out relationships with people who are unlike us and think differently than us and all of the research in complex system science all of it shows that diversity of any kind cognitive biodiversity is beneficial for the creativity and and the the this sustainability of a system and what we've done is we have made our society so 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 much more fragile by putting ourselves in a situation where reality is now splitting down the the middle because people are only talking to people who see the same see the world in the same way that they do and so you know we're uh kind of screwed here because you know unless we unless we accept that some amount of efficiency is necessary i mean this, you, you you can see the same thing in in uh the economic networks that were disrupted where these supply chains thrive on their scale you know like a bigger mm-hmm. company has has sort of uh like costco is only charging what like three percent profit on their thing but they're selling so much that they can do that uh and like the larger an organization gets the more it it thrives on these uh economies of scale 
but then they but it it makes it more fragile because there's less redundancy because everything's been standardized homogenized like the big agriculture you know so like it the whole thing becomes more brittle and and uh, susceptible to collapse and so you know this is this is where we are where you know unless unless we willingly assume the burden of having to explain ourselves to the quote-unquote social or, or psychological other, then uh, we're, we're uh, in deep shit, basically. I don't know if we can say that on your show. Then we're in trouble, you know, because uh, okay. it's, it looks like monocropping corn and er eroding the topsoil. And then we're going to have the social version of the Dust Bowl here is is basically what it looks like i can't tell you when the the, the pandemic's going to end because it's a it's a virus we're stuck in a co-evolutionary arms race with um it may never go away it may become the next flu you know and you also said earlier i should have asked you about this back then earlier you mentioned that you have a discord for the future fossils podcast and this was something i spoke about with uh the a guest from two episodes ago, uh, Sean Sullivan, he said that, you know, podcasters know about marketing, uh, but they don't know as much about community building as a way to grow your podcast. So could you tell us uh, what you use the Discord server for and how it started? Well, yeah, I think people were just sick of Facebook. And, you know, I have, a lar I have about 3,000 people in a Facebook group, and I'd say about 10% of them we're just so, so eager to find another place to hang out. And, you know, part of this, this is a weird sort of analogy, uh, but mass capture industrial fishing is making the schooling, the size of fish schools smaller because smaller fish schools are not going to be targeted by these industrial, you know, mass capture net operations. And something like that is happening right now with surveillance capitalism, where people are looking for their own sort of bespoke little digital campfires that they can hang out at, uh, you know, out of the prying gaze of Sauron, you know, like they, people are looking for a, just, a, you know, a place where they can reproduce that human scale of interaction rather than just pissing into the wind on Facebook or, or Twitter. Uh, and, you know, there are still uses for that, obviously. Um, but it, it just became clear that, that people wanted a cozier and more intimate platform or venue to hang out. And I think that insofar as we're not in an age where I don't think anyone's responsible goal I don't think it's, I don't think it's uh, ethical at this point to try and grow a podcast as large as you possibly can uh, any more than it's ethical to try and grow a company as large as you possibly can. Like there are more than one bottom line. Um, and so, you know, for me, I've just attuned the, my growth strategy for the show to being more about serving a smaller audience as excellently as I can and then expecting that that's going to do the work and that the quality of the community around the show is going to be one of the, the great attractors to it rather than, you know, like me developing some 
kind of reputation as a rock star, you know, aloof and remote on stage with this global mystique. You know, that's just like it doesn't it doesn't interest me. Um, You know, I really like just being down in the trenches with people and, and Discord's a great place to you know you it's you you can't thread conversations so you can't have uh you know really deep discussions there uh but you get these moments where like a topic springs up in a channel and for the next hour you have like one of the most heartfelt beautiful conversations that isn't necessarily pinned to some you know like the structure of Facebook and these other groups uh people have expectations coming into those spaces that warp the way that a, a conversation can unfold you know, and so it's just nice to have a place where people feel a little more sheltered. And how do people find out about the Discord channel if they'd like to join it? Oh, it's in the show notes for the Future Fossils episodes. And, uh, you know, or you can just, e- e- you know, hit me up on, on Twitter and I'll send you an invite. I, I don't have a, I probably should just add it to my my uh, Future FM bio on Twitter. I suppose I will do that after this call. And how can people listen to either of your two podcasts and reach out to you? I assume everyone listening to this program knows how to find podcasts, but uh, (laughs) Future Fossils is hosted on Acast and uh, Complexity is hosted on Simplecast and they're both everywhere. You know, if you're a Spotify person, they're there. Uh, If you're a YouTuber, God help you. You should not be listening to podcasts on YouTube, but if that's your thing, uh, most of the episodes of both shows are up on YouTube. I kind of go through these waves of caring. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you, Eugene. Thanks a ton for listening to the podcast. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to me at eugene at podscribe.ai. That'll be in the description. If you would like to follow us on Twitter and YouTube, uh, just look up Podscribe AI. If you would like to learn more about our transcripts, or if you would like to get a sample transcript of your own podcast, just send us an email with the name of your podcast or visit us at podscribe.ai. Thank you to the team at podcast.co for the music and thank you for listening. See you next week.